0: Welcome, everyone, to Podcasts on Process. My name is Kirsten Walsh, and this episode's theme is critique. What can feedback look like? No matter what you're doing or who you encounter over the course of a typical day, there's a good chance you'll receive feedback. It could be around something professionally significant, like a current project, or a small comment on your choice in footwear that day. But either way, feedback is inherent in how we interact with others. Critique for me can be synonymous with criticism, and criticism is often a bitter word to swallow. However, I can recall classroom and professional settings where the feedback I received inspired me to get back to work and to work hard. So what are the qualities of a productive critique? More than 20 years ago, Liz Lerman began developing what she would eventually call the Critical Response Process, or CRP for short. Liz has taken this process across the globe to a variety of institutions. And in this next clip you'll hear Liz during a workshop in Scotland with two theater-based organizations. The critical response process is actually
1: a pretty simple process with a lot of complexity buried in it. Originally, um, I made it because I wanted to give and get better feedback for the work I was making as a choreographer over the years I've come to see that the process is useful in more ways than that but that is its initial form and that's how I initially teach it um, it turns out you know we give feedback about everything we give feedback every second almost of our lives as we're walking around seeing things visiting things in the nature of our judgments really interesting to me so sometimes I think of it as a way of partnering your critical judgment uh, uh, opportunity to Say everything you want to say, but to be patient about how and when you say it.
0: As an emerging curator, studio visits are critical to my practice. These conversations form the basis of a lasting relationship between an artist and a curator. I needed the right conversational tools for the feedback I was being asked to give to artists, so I went searching. I'm like no
2: other, uh, uh, no other
0: in this episode we're going to hear from four guests and we'll go quickly through the four step crp process you'll hear from john borstel john helped develop iterate and write about crp with liz lerman and then from karen Stoltz and cj phillip two baltimore-based practitioners recently trained in crp and then we'll hear from joe basile co-editor of a recent Maryland Institute College of Art publication called Beyond Critique. So what is the critical response process and why is it valuable? What makes it different from many other frameworks for getting and receiving feedback? I want to make sure we have a basic foundation on the process, so let's walk through the four steps with John Borstel. And remember, we're using the term artist here, but this process has been used by teachers, administrators, scientists, and engineers.
3: I'm John Borstal. I like to describe myself as an artist working at the crossroads of performance, photography, and text. I also like to think about artistic practices embracing a number of other things I do, which include facilitation uh, of various experiences, teaching, um, humane critique, advocacy for the work of other artists, and um, writing uh, as it might manifest itself in um, blogging, interpretive writing, proposal writing, that kind of thing. So I've practiced a lot of that sort of work over 21 years here at Dance Exchange, starting as Development Director, evolving into a role called Humanities Director, and more recently since I've gone to part-time, the uh, laudable title of Senior Advisor with Humanities is my portfolio. Critical response process as devised by Liz was a response to the discomfort she was experiencing in a lot of settings as an artist getting reviewed in the newspaper, Mm -hmm. as somebody who was um, leading an ensemble devised process to some degree. Uh, and needing to have conversations with the artists that she was collaborating with, uh, as somebody who was being brought onto college campuses and shown work by students, and and expected as an authority to deliver mm-hmm. some kind of meaningful statement to them about their work, and recognizing in that moment that she was often telling people how to make work that would be like hers, as opposed to really understanding what their work needed to be about. So she, she was having this kind of discomfort, which really led her to start thinking about really, what, what do you want critique to be? Um, what does make it valuable? And ultimately to define this, we want an experience of critique, of feedback on artistic work in progress to be one where we leave motivated, where we leave wanting to get back to work on what it is that we're working on. Not either saying, it's perfect, so I don't have to change anything, or wanting to go to our rooms, pull down the shades, and sleep for three days. It's uh, a four-step process that engages people in three distinctive roles. Uh, The roles are the artist uh, Mm -hmm. who is presenting the work, uh, a group of responders, and that could be one person or like 200 people. Um, though ideally it's somewhat smaller than that, (laughs) Um, and there's a facilitator, and the facilitator is a key role because there are steps and protocols uh, to be followed, and it's not just that the facilitator is somebody who lays down the rules, the facilitator is somebody who sort of needs to make a series of kind of nuanced judgment calls based on all kinds of variable factors.
0: Okay, on to the four steps.
3: So the process starts with the showing of the work, Mm -hmm. and then we go to something called step one, which we call statements of meaning. Each step of the process has some degree of inquiry in it. Inquiry is a core value of the process. So there's a question in each step. Step one question comes from the facilitator, and it usually goes something like this. What is exciting, meaningful, memorable, stimulating, interesting evocative about the work you just saw
0: this is a chance for responders to acknowledge what is functioning in the artwork and where the artist's intentions have been met
3: with step two a dialogue ensues between the artist and the responders it's the artist who initiates the dialogue the artist gets to ask questions about their work in responding the responders can give any honest answer to the question based Mm -hmm. on their own experience. What they can't do is change the subject of the question so they can talk about the thing that's really burning for them.
0: Here, the facilitator can help the artist dig just a little deeper to get to a burning question, if necessary. John notes that these questions should be on the artist's learning edge and their needs.
3: Then we move on to step three. In step three, the dialogue between the artist and the responder is reversed and um, the responders get to ask questions of the artist. There's one very particular protocol around this, which is that the questions need to be stated neutrally Mm -hmm. so that if you have a burning opinion that's driving a question, you need to find a way to ask the question so that the opinion isn't revealed. Mm. This can be uh, challenging for people when they first are introduced to it, Um, it's sometimes about reframing, framing bigger, framing smaller, Mm. thinking about the larger category, but being pointed enough so that you'll get the artist to talk about the thing that's of concern to you.
0: For the responders, step three is an exercise in understanding your opinions and learning how to frame them. So those opinions lead to dialogue. And the questions in step three can also be motivated by curiosity too. They do not need to be rooted in opinion.
3: Um, So in step four comes the opportunity for responders to express opinions. Again, there's this very specific protocol, and this is another area where the facilitator uh, is vigilant and involved. Um, We ask the responders to phrase a request to offer an opinion, which goes like this. I have an opinion about your palette of colors. Would you like to hear it? And the artist at that point has an opportunity to say yes or no the artist maintains a degree of control and agency uh, over what they're hearing. Um, That said, in most cases in my experience, the artist will say yes Mm. to that request for an opinion. And the artist is more inclined to say yes if the person who's presenting the opinion in step four has been actively engaged in the process up to that point.
0: So those are the four steps to the critical response process. Liz and John will tell you that it is a relatively simple process, but deeply complex once you're inside of it. Here's John again with an insight that I believe is necessary to understanding CRP.
3: I've given this introduction about discomfort for many years, but, but at one point a few years ago, I discovered, oh, people think that um, we're going to make all the discomfort go away. And actually, no pro- no good process of, of critique will make all the discomfort go away. Actually, when you're doing work in progress and you really embracing it as work in progress, which means I don't have it all figured out yet. I'm in a place of vulnerability about this work. I'm putting it out there and opening myself up and um, something's at stake here. It matters. There's natural discomfort in that moment. Likewise, you know, if if I ask you, what do you really think of my work? Well, I've put a certain level of responsibility on your shoulders. You know, I'm calling you to sort of higher purpose in that conversation. So um, we can use a platform to make it really functional. But if it's really working, we're not going to feel comfortable and happy every moment of it. There's going to be some discomfort. Can we partner the discomfort that's functional and make it work for us and get rid of all that other baggagey stuff that has to do with people having different expectations or has to do with authority and hierarchy getting in the way of a useful conversation, Mm -hmm. has to do with competition, all of which can be functional, but if we can take it out of the conversation for the moment of getting the feedback, then that's going to be more functional. That's sort of the theory behind it.
0: Known and worked with our next two guests for just about two years now. You'll understand in a moment why I asked to interview these two, but let's start with introductions. Karen Stoltz and CJ Phillip are Baltimore-based practitioners and community advocates.
2: My name is Karen Stoltz, and I'm the Director of Community Engagement at MICA. The Office of Community Engagement is sort of an umbrella entity within the college that seeks to provide tools and resources for both members of the MICA community that are uh, either experimenting in or excelling at using art and design as tools of change, um, as community building tools, et cetera, and also serving as sort of a public interface with community organizations, city agencies, et cetera, outside of the mica bubble, as we like to say, <laughs> um, and sort of seeking to, to, to be a front door to the college for community, potential community, current and potential community partners.
4: Well, my name is CJ Philip, and uh, what I do is always a challenging question for me, because there's a lot of different things in that category. (laughs) So I will just list them off. I'm the Artistic Director of Dance and Be More, Mm -hmm. and uh, we are a multidisciplinary company. We have dancers, poets, musicians, singers, and uh, we love to mix and match. And also we love to engage our audience. And so oftentimes we asked our audience to do percussion with us or to sing with us or to move with us. So that's a little bit about dance and be more. And we also design programs specifically for everyday people to be able to dance with us as well and build community through dance, whether it's families with our Fazafam Family Jam or seniors with our Forever Fit and Fun 55 and Older Club. Um, We love designing programs that allow everybody to experience movement and um, experience how that draws people together.
0: Through the Facebook Grapevine, I had heard that Karen and CJ, along with a bigger group, had just completed the critical response process facilitation training with Liz Lerman and John Borstel. This is a multi-weekend intensive where the trainees practice CRP with each other and bring in guest artists to present their work for review. I asked Karen and CJ, why CRP? Why become facilitators? What's the value you see in the process? And what do you think the future of CRP is going to be in your personal and professional lives? I believe their answers are examples of how CRP can be potent for the working lives of artists and powerful for our daily interactions?
2: That is a great question. Um, And I'm glad you asked it that way this time because I really do feel like, um, I really did enter into this first as Karen, Mm. second as, you know, hat number one, hat number two, and hat number three. So, you know, I was personally drawn to do the training and to do the work just because I think communication is so critical. And it's so magical when we do it well. And it's debilitating. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> devastating when we don't. And um, and just in, you know, in very early interactions with Liz, it was just so clear to me that she she has such a presence and such an awareness and is so tuned in to the person that she is listening to or speaking with at any given point in time and she has this beautiful way of just navigating a conversation where you just you 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 leave the conversation feeling enriched and you're like I don't even know what just happened there but you know and I think it's because you know you do feel heard you don't feel judged Um, you've gotten useful information but you've been affirmed and um, you know so I was just I was so inspired by that and I wanted to develop that skill personally for myself Um, and I think you know the two the two really amazing tools from CRP that are useful on a even if you never use it again in a work context but just in your daily interactions are these two tenants around um, sort of withholding maybe it's three tenants being curious Withholding judgment and asking permission. Because mm-hmm. all three of those things happen in the CRP process. I think that first
4: one of allowing it to be about the artist and that they are on a journey. And their learning curve, their journey is different than mine. That Mm timetable of the journey is different than mine. It's different than the other person who saw the performance and the other person and the other person. And so if it's about the artist, I've got to pay attention to the artist and where they are in their path and not try to push them past because I think they need to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So that... And then, um, body language. Hmm. I I mean, it's, I always say to people, body language is actually my first language. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's true, but it's certainly something that I pay attention to. Um, and it's really useful in paying attention to it as a facilitator, um, or a facilitator in training, I would should say. Because <laughs> uh, it tells you a lot about how the artist is feeling, when they're feeling eager to hear, and when mm-hmm. they're game, and when they're starting to feel flustered, or when a wall goes up, um, and it's getting too much. Um, or when there's a wall there that has nothing to do with the art, the craft, but has everything to do with their person, their, the 30 years that they spent before they ever walked in this room. <laughs> that, that's just how they are. And, uh, and then how do you um, find a place to get them what they need, even if they're distant? If
3: you ask the right question, mean, you have had this experience on occasion, the artist has presented work that is definitely work in progress. Mm-hmm. It's unresolved. Uh, there, there's an idea there that's like a burning idea for them, but it's not showing up in the work. If you ask the right question and suddenly they get passionately engaged, mm-hmm. um, there's content and meaning in what they're saying. There's a sort of vividness to their presence. And then when that happens, you've got all this stuff to work with in terms of a dialogue with that artist, be it a student or another artist, um, that can then uh, direct them to seeing new possibilities, to seeing more. Remember that thing you said about so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Um, can you give that more prominence in what the audience sees? Um, did you recognize the gestures you were making and the energy that you were projecting mm-hmm. when you responded to that question? Is that an area that you really need to drive your research in for the next stage? Things like that, yeah. as revealed through the right kind of question, and then refined through the 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 opinion that you get to that you don't start with, that's where the that's where the real nugget of of uh, of power. Mm -hmm. I think, lies in this process and why I feel it's different from kind of the standard critique model that that tends to operate in, uh, in academic settings.
0: At the end of my first year of graduate school at MICA, I stumbled across a book called Beyond Critique, Different Ways of Talking About Art. And my discovery of that book just happened to coincide with my first exposure to Liz's critical response process. Beyond Critique is a series of essays from 10 MICA faculty looking at the variety of ways feedback happens in the classroom. Here's Joe Basile, the co-editor of this publication.
5: I'm Joe Basile. I'm the Associate Dean of Liberal Arts. Uh, I'm also an art historian, and I specialize in classical art in ancient Greek and Roman art.
0: And you teach art history classes here at Micah? I
5: teach art history classes, yep, uh, one class a semester. So I'm teaching a class on um, archaeological field methods that uh, focuses primarily on the kinds of field methods that um, where, where, where artists in training, and designers and architects can can bring their skills to, to archaeology. It's called Gods Graves and Scholars, which is the name of a of a, of a classic archaeology text from the early 20th century.
0: So, wanted to talk to you today about the Mica publication from 2013 called Beyond Critique, um, and you're you're uh, you you write for it, but you're also the co-editor with right. um, Susan um, Waters Eller. Yes. Um, so, can you, we just, again, I should have been recording, but um, can you talk a little bit about how this came to life? Sure.
5: Um, it was a project of uh, a number of faculty uh, and committees, especially the Cultural Expansion Committee, uh, and was meant to be a venue for starting a campus-wide discussion on critique, which obviously is central to the, to, to the mission of the college, or, or mm-hmm. central to how the college Uh, delivers its mission it's it's central to it's still a central concept in in art education even though it's an ancient concept Mm -hmm. right and and is one that you know people argue a lot about Um, so this was meant to be um, this was meant to um, create a venue for faculty of the college to explore the issue of critique Uh, it comes out of the cultural expansion committee because one focus of the book is on um, Critique uh, on, on, on different on innovative approaches to critique that uh, Approach the issue of of diversity the recognition that um, That a, a college classroom today is a more complicated and diverse environment than it was 100 years ago 150 years ago when when critique was still being practiced mm-hmm. uh, at, at the Maryland Institute and um, uh, so um, uh, it, it, it seeks to focus on how faculty address issues of diversity. Uh, and I think one of the things we found as we were collecting essays for the book was that um, that the faculty themselves prevent, pre- presented a, a diverse view of what critique is. The essays run the gamut from, very kind of traditional, organic views of the critique as as a kind of conversation mm-hmm. that happens in a class, or without rules, without guidelines, to um, notions of critique based on um, based on on brain science. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my co-editor Susan Waters Eller is that that that's one of her areas yeah. of research of interest. Um, uh so that's that's the the point of origin for and the it, book
0: and at least from several of the um, chapters or essays that i read it's not just diversity of students but it's the diversity of the the you know critical reviewers as right, well right
5: right very very different uh Ken kind Krabcheck of voice. specifically absolutely yep uh, it's um, uh, it, it it also well, maybe wasn't our intent it, it presents a view it's a, it's a snapshot almost of 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 how critique is practiced by key faculty at MICA over the last 20 or 25 years.
0: Joe describes how, as a new art history faculty member, he was invited to a studio art critique. He says that like many art historians, his knowledge of art was principally theoretical. And while he had taken some drawing classes in college, there was no quote-unquote critique of his work. Joe writes in his essay for Beyond Critique, as the crit progressed, I noticed that many students were using their work as a way of thinking through a problem or an experience, and that the discussion fostered feedback that the students intended to incorporate in a revised version of their work. Now to me, that sounds like an experiment, a research-based experiment. Here's Joe again, describing the book Figuring It Out by archeologist Colin Renfro, and the idea of critique as a form of research. An art and design institution
5: uh, who's, you know, not only seeing work on display by contemporary artists, but also seeing how artists are being trained. Uh, It, uh, you know, it occurred to me that that the critique is, uh, is, is, is a, a kind of method of research. Uh, you know, when 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 I do my research, uh, and you know, uh, I write an article for a peer-reviewed journal. Mm-hmm. It goes to those reviewers, and they are they, they they critique it. They're critical of it. They say these things need to be changed. We challenge this assumption. You don't support this idea. Mm-hmm. It comes back to me. I have to respond to that. We're typically not in the same room, right? Yes. Although there are venues where that does occur, like if I'm giving a paper at a conference, um, uh, then you're you're engaged directly in a kind of critique process. And and while um, while the, the the stakes are different and the scale is different when you're talking about undergraduate education as opposed mm-hmm. to graduate education or as opposed to your practice as a professional, yes, um, it's it's all of a piece, right? The differences are not. The differences are, are of degree, not of kind. So, um, so you know, what, what I came to realize, and, and, and maybe this seems obvious to an artist in training, but it do, I think it's not obvious to people who see themselves as outside of that world, that sphere. Um, what, what, what I came to understand was that, you know, students were engaging in research through the critique. Being exposed to contemporary art through this, this duty of his as a college administrator uh, and that having contact with artists, he came to understand that this was a window into the mind of makers in the past. Not only that, he came to understand that what contemporary artists are often doing is the same thing that he does as an archeologist. An archeologist takes objects, things that are made, Thinks about them, thinks about what they say about the world and what the maker maybe was trying to say about the world mm-hmm. Even if that object is what you know, something we would call utilitarian <clears throat> um, uh, it, It's still, you know, you design an object out of materials to respond to the world and to promote a behavior, you know mm. um, uh, and Renfrew came to understand that that's what many artists do. They use materials in the world to, to speak about the world and to, um, uh, and to promote behaviors. So uh, he came to call art making a research strategy. And especially modern and contemporary art making.
0: The topic of this episode is likely the most selfish of the series for me. Feedback, critique, criticism, evaluation. These were just as significant to my graduate education as my textbooks and the lectures. But I'm still scratching my head over the culture of critique. My peers across Micah and I have discussed all kinds of feedback. The highs and the lows, the motivational and the discouraging experience. So I'm determined to better understand the culture of critique for artists and makers. And I believe that if we can couple the idea of critique as research with neutral questions and inquiry, then creative work will and can propel forward. And it'll leave artists motivated to keep doing what they do.
1: You know, I just keep saying over and over again, as you've heard me say,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what makes us think that honest feedback has to hurt? Yeah. What, what is that about? I mean, it's true that people get really good feedback and critical response. I mean, they can't wait to go back to work and they'll say to me later, but you know, it really wasn't feedback. And I'll say, it's oh, it's because it didn't hurt, right? So you don't even know how to, you don't even know how to receive it or where to file it because it didn't hurt. So that's crazy. And uh, and I you know I, I say over and over again, you can say the whole thing, including how bad it was. you just have to be patient. You cannot say it all at once. I said, did I tell you, you when know, I was at RISD, I did a little I did critical response at RISD a few months mm-hmm. ago, and I went into a uh, right uh, right before my talk, I had to walk through a room of architecture students getting feedback.. <laughs>
0: Today's creative challenge was actually poised at the beginning of the episode. It's the question I asked at the very start. After hearing Liz and our guests talk about critique, I want to know from you, what do you consider the qualities of productive feedback and evaluation? Submit your response to the creative challenge in several ways. You can do it from the website and the respond page there, with the hashtag podcast on process and by calling our phone number. Your contributions will be added directly to each podcast page. And I really wanna hear what you have to say. Podcasts on Process is supported by the Contemporary and Micah's MFA and Curatorial Practice Program. This episode and the whole series would not be possible without the incredible team around me. So I have to say thank you to just a few folks. First, thank you to the faculty of Curatorial Practice, to my extraordinary mentors, and to my support team from the Contemporary. The music you'll hear in this series was composed and recorded by the remarkable Ruby Fulton and the band Nudie Suits. And thank you to Estelle Klein and Sean Tubbs, my audio engineer magicians. A big thank you goes out to my classmates and my beautiful friends in curatorial practice and to my husband my unwavering volunteer and macgyver on all of this and last but not least thank you to liz lerman the stunning artist who graciously opened up her life and process to me